Actually. Hello. Hey, nice wig. Yeah. How do you know that's a wig? <laughs> I had a I had a meeting with my uh, tax guy the other day on Zoom, and that popped up real quickly. And he was like, "What was that?" And I was like, "What? What do you mean? I don't I don't know because it was on my laptop, but this one on my desktop here I had a different picture. So I thought, oh, I better I better upgrade the picture over here. <laughs> Good one. Hey, do you even remember what we talked about last time? <laughs> I, I do actually, but it was it was a, it was a divergence. Yeah, it was the composition uh, talk, right? Uh, we were, yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. actually, you know, I uh, um, I kind of I figured out how to solve my issue, which was kind of interesting. Was that um, when I was talking about the end of this piece, the the um, the section before it needed more form. Mm -hmm. And I haven't totally sorted it, but I figured out what it what it that that's what it needs. It was like the um, the end is peeling away from not enough action. So it's it's like functioning. It's like having to function as a a, a real statement when it should be kind of you know kept peeling away and countering from a little more meat. So yeah. There you go. It only took like another 16 hours of diddling about and driving around in the car and listening and making decisions. And I still, and it's still not done yet, but at least I, I found a solution. Um, yeah. so, so what shall we do? Um, do we want to continue where we left off the week before, which I think was the end of Quodia? Yeah. And like, we kind of like skipped a few things, uh, which was the okay. K2. Yeah. Um, so maybe start with K2, you know, and then go from there. Uh, yeah. So um, trying to think the timeline. Well, I mean, <clears throat> there's probably, there's not a lot to say about two, but that's where K2 came from was the duo that Pat and I mm -hmm. um, didn't even set out to do. It was just based on um, rehearsing with, with Robert and Adrian with the crim with Crimson, they six o'clock was soup time, and then that was the end of the day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we would kind of joke sometimes, even four forty-five, would like somebody would start smelling soup. And Pat and I just wanted to keep working at night, so we ended up just recording an improvisation. Uh, I think it was rehearsing. It was rehearsing for the uh, I don't remember which record, the Power to Bleed, maybe. Mm -hmm. Probably. I, that sounds about right. Mm -hmm. uh, and we just did a, you know, like a, a two hour play through and, and recorded that. And that's the, the, the first release we made. And then it was just a two track and, you know, Pat will take anything and make, make something out of it. So then we ended up recording, uh, here. That, that wasn't, that wasn't called two though, right? That was like, no, that was, uh, Thunderbird or something. That was the Thunderbird suite. Robert used to call us the Rhythm Buddies, so we put that on there, and then Pat decided that sounded a little dorky, so we upgraded to to two, uh, and then um, then we actually did make a make a recording 
at my place. And uh, I, I share, used to share a, a, a rehearsal space with Matt Chamberlain, and then the space became available next door, and I took that space. So we kind of, I think when we made that record, we were kind of using Matt's place and my place, or maybe it was just in Matt's place. I can't even remember. Um, which was a small, pretty small place, but he had it he had it decked out in a crazy way. Uh, and then we did a few shows, maybe. We went to Russia. We played a few shows. It was it, it's cool. It's a cool thing. It's really free, and uh, Pat can make so much noise that I don't really have to do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he even he even still likes to tell the story. Like I didn't realize it was so much punishment for him that actually I left him on stage in Russia to go backstage to get some uh, sparklers to bring out and give to the audience. And he was just playing and he, he felt a little lonely there. I think I even went out into the audience once in Poland. <laughs> um, and then Pat had this idea of uh, like the two, well, actually when we played in, the, the idea was that the duo, we would also like play with some local musician and improvise. I mean, it was mostly an improvised thing, not, not a, yeah, like 90% improvised, maybe mm-hmm, 90% mm-hmm. composed. Uh, so I think our first shows might have been in Russia. and We played with uh, this awesome Polish guitar player. And then we did another thing. I can't remember. And then, then uh, and I don't even, and then Pap's like TU thing is branched off. You have a thing with him where it's, where it's, um, but we never played a show as a trio, have we? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I almost wonder if that's too much, but we we will we'll find out someday. Um, so Pat had this idea that uh, we met. Okay, I remember now. We met Chemo because um, Project Three. So many projects interlocked. Project Three, which was Robert, Pat, and I, played in Austin at South by Southwest, and Chemo Koyonen, the Finnish accordion player, was the opening act. And Kimo was like, we got to do something with him. And actually, funny enough, that Project 3 show was, um, we we had already done Project 2 and Project 1. And this was our first Project 3 show. And we were in the middle of playing. And kind of, you know, it, it was our first night. We didn't really know what we were doing. And we were, everybody was a little uncomfortable. And it was South by Southwest, which is, um, I can handle it, but Robert can't. It's like mm-hmm. way, way off of his spectrum of chaos. And we're playing, and I looked over at the side of the stage, and Adrian was standing there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he had said, if you guys ever do a show years, a year or so ago, I'm going to be there. So he just came over, and he came down to South by Southwest and stood there and watched the show. Anyway, we met Chemo. Hey, was that was that uh, uh, Anton's, or which place was that? Which venue? Do you remember? No, it wasn't Anton's. It was, I don't. It was a really small place, um, and... Um, mm-hmm. And so you had a you had a full show though, no, not just like a forty. No, minutes. it was it was it was short because it was uh, chemo played before us, then we played, and then after us, I think Pat organized the show or something. Uh, there was a flamenco guitarist. Um, yeah, we played at Anton's uh, like a year later, and that's pretty funny because my whole family, my dad rented a like a school bus and brought my whole family up. And they had just lost their liquor license. 
<laughs> so, uh, which would be, could be a problem for my family. I mean, actually family came in from all over, even from Houston, because I never played in Texas. Uh, but my dad drove up a bunch of people. This is a funny story. And uh, Anton didn't have, they, they weren't allowed to sell liquor. So they just gave it away. So they just had a free open bar at a Project 3 show. And my dad and all of his friends came and we played two sets. And I remember playing the first set thinking, man, these, these folks of mine, they're, this is tough stuff. This is tough stuff, you know, and we're not holding back. And I thought, well, at least, you know, at least Thrush is coming later and there'll be a nice ending and they'll, they'll, you know, and in the middle of the break, I went out to talk to some of them and they were like, oh, that was a great show. Great show. And I was like, well, that's just the first set. And they're like, the first set. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to do another set. Um, uh, yeah. So anyway, we met chemo and Pat was trying to arrange chemo got arrested that night for, for, for peeing on a church in the middle of the night. All good. Uh, and then uh, later on, uh, I, I think it was probably another year or even longer before Pat arranged us to do a two. Chemo had a group with with Somali percussionists, so we had a duo, and we had a duo, so we put a show together. And um, I don't even remember. I think our first show was in Helsinki, um, and uh, um, I barely even remember rehearsing for it. We didn't have much material, and. and uh, and it was of, it was called Cluster Two then, right? Because yeah, their their uh, duo was called Cluster. They were cluster. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we changed it to K two, and it, it just kind of evolved. Somali was uh, had a small baby, and then another baby on the way, and he was also working with um, Mom mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, 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 Jonesy. Mm -hmm. uh, so he 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 just didn't really want to travel. Uh, and so we kind of went down to a trio yeah and uh played a lot it's a cool it's a cool thing too because there's even more form than than what pat and i do on our own but there's still a lot of freedom mm -hmm. um and the, the accordion and chemo's vibe is you would never think it would work but it it, it, it really works and it was able actually the thing i really liked about it was aside from the music we got to go uh, do festivals in Europe that I, I don't usually get to play, mm -hmm. you know, because, because of chemo is this really strange thing. Like he's just, he's just a European like everybody else, but because he's from Finland and he plays the accordion, we ha have this, like, uh, uh, like we could play these world music festivals yeah. and he is like world music, even though, you know, it's, uh, uh, so that, that was really great. Yeah. You also played that that uh, beautiful what place in Portugal? Was it called? Yeah, Sinas. Uh, uh, what? But how do you say? How do you actually pronounce it? I, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We played there, uh, and that's a great gig because you you play um, in that uh, giant castle overlooking the ocean, and it's like a one hour set and. Um, there were other great, I mean, the, 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 the master musicians of, of Jujuku, the Moroccan 
guys played before us. There was a Chinese rock band that played after us. That was amazing. And the, uh, the last time we played, uh, there was this band from the Congo, Kanono Number no. 1, that just plays in Biras through Marshall Stacks and SPTs. And they they played on the beach till like 4 in the morning. Mm-hmm. So that's a really cool, that's a really cool festival. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's, what's his name? Like, who was booking for you? Was that... Page, page, uh, Philip, yeah, Philip Page, Philip, Philip Page, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember Philip's got, a, Philip's got a great story. You could probably interview Philip and get some interesting stories. You know, he moved from Texas, he's from Houston to uh, um, to Scandinavia. Oh. I think he moved to Scandinavia because he wanted to work with ABBA. Oh. <laughs> But but you know there's the, this famous record shop in in Austin that he kind of like was part of at the very beginning. Uh, yeah, what was that? Um, I can't remember. You know, Austin wasn't really my scene at all, even though I lived in Texas for, for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, I hardly ever went up there. Um, yeah, is it was that Rockadillo or is that his label? I know no, it's his it, wasn't, label. it wasn't it wasn't Rockadillo, but. Um, I've, I've been to that store many times. I can't remember the name right now, but oh, you mean it's still there? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's still there. Yeah. Well, at store. least at least like three, four years it was still. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. It's a big, it's a big store. I, I can't remember either. It's like it's on Amoeba Music level, kind of, kind of. Store. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting, right? Like how these like these people and these scenes and locations and you know, like where are you from and and you know, you can you find connections. To people from your youth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, much later in life, it's 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 fascinating. I, I spoke with Morgan Ogren um, last night, and we were also like like with him. It's crazy with his Frank Zappa. Uh, yeah, those stories. Right? Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so K two, that sort of like then some somewhat petered out, right? You know, it's, it's, um, it's, um, it was never, uh, that was almost like, uh, the most, like a, like a, a, a Navy SEAL military operation project of any, of anything that I did. Like we, we, um, we only made one record in the studio, uh, at Pat's, uh, down near Pat and at Pat's place, um, in little spurts, but mostly it was like, Philip will write us, they, they, they want you in Portugal. I can get one other gig, um, you know, in July. Can you guys do it? We're like, okay, we'll do it. And then we go in and we rehearse the day before, and then we do the show and do the next show, and then we go home. And, and then we maybe don't see each other for a year. So it's even hard to say that it's petered out because, like, every year – Philip would say, okay, I got this weird gig and, uh, you know, you, you guys are going to go to Kazan now in Russia, or you're going to go to, uh, you know, somewhere I got a show in Spain or, or, or uh, Poland or, or, or whatnot. So it wouldn't surprise me if that happens again. It's just, a, it's a matter. It's, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a, um, it's such a specialized ask to, to, for, for, uh, uh, for that project because chemo can, can go do shows just by himself or with one other guy. But when you bring Pat and I in suddenly and chemo likes to have a lighting guy and that we do surround sound. So it's the sound man. And the, so it's like, 
you got to bring seven of us in mm -hmm. uh, to, to do a show. So it's, I'm not sure what makes people want to have us. I guess they had chemo too much and they want a little more muscle this year or something. So it could happen again. Could happen again. Yeah. Yeah, this, it's an interesting constellation, you know, that sometimes you get, I mean, this is like, you know, fans, sometimes they ask, you know, they ask very nice, like, you know, will there be a DVD of this show? Well, you know, not not really understanding, you know, what the foundation, like the financial foundation of things are. And with, um, with some musical projects, um, like in this case where you have like three guys who sort of like also do your, do their own thing and you get together and it's not like it's, it's a band, um, in the way that it would be if you were Radiohead, let's say, or something where, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So, so it's, um, it's a pro it's tool. More, it's, it's the opposite, of, the opposite yeah. of that. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and then, uh, to see it's, it's always, and, and this may be like, uh, you know, one of the things that needs to be uh, said that financial, as you say, like, yeah, it would be great to go out and play as a trio, but you know, like you're not, you know, you guys are not going to make much, but like if Kimo goes out on his own, like he can make considerable money and it's much easier to do and blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. Like, like Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and this, this is really in, in, you could say in the way of, uh, of free expression, <laughs> right? Because maybe you would you would you would want to do more shows with you know with with me, let's say, right? But we can't do it because we don't have offers, and yeah. you know even if we had an offer, it just doesn't pay enough uh, yeah. for yeah. for the two of us, right? Yeah. And yeah. The best example I, I I have actually of maybe my whole career is with K two, where we would play, you know, and I, we don't have to talk about the numbers, but we would get paid quite well to go do a festival in Europe. And sometimes like the, the CNS festival in Portugal, it was eight euros for a ticket. So mm -hmm. it's a subsidized show. Mm -hmm. We even played um, some outdoor festivals in uh, Spain, three. Mm -hmm. And and we were paid quite well. Then Philip arranged uh, a thing with um, uh, the Finnish government oft, often funds stuff for chemo. Uh, and they arranged, he arranged uh, a thing with the Finnish government and Finn Air and Ben Chocolate Milk or who knows whatever it was to do us to sponsor a little tour, go to the States. We played South by Southwest again, but, but as, as, as K2 and there were, there were two or three other Finnish bands. So we were this, this kind of Finnish little troupe playing a few shows in, in, in America. We played South by Southwest. We played, um, in New York City at the Knitting Factory, Chemo got in a fight with the sound man. All good. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, maybe in, in Toronto, something like we had like three or four little gigs. And uh, while we were on the road for that, and and it, you know, the expenses were covered by these grants and this advertising. Um, you know, we didn't make very much money, but it, it was doable. We could do it. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and you're talking a lot of people. That that's like. 12 or 13 people. Um, but we, while we were there, Pat was like, we should do a gig in Chicago. Let's, let's get a gig in Chicago. And um, we couldn't get a gig in Chicago for more than 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. 
you know, we could, we could, we couldn't even drive, we couldn't even rent a van and drive to Chicago for 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. And, and here we are. And, and yeah, that's, that's, that's the situation. So it's, it's pretty much why the, the project will probably never play in the States. Uh, here it's way worse. You know, it's just, just purely, uh, uh, it's purely commercial, you know, what you, what you can sell into story. There's no, there's no support s- structure. Yeah, yeah. And we don't have those kinds of interesting festivals that you have over in Europe where things are uh, mixed between jazz musicians and world musicians from all over the place. And uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So part of that was, was sort of like happening at the same time as, as uh, Quodia. Yeah, there was. I'm pretty, an overlap, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> overlap. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Quodia might have gone to even 2008. That's something. what you said. That's what you said. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So K two and two in there. Okay. So that's like 2008. Um, 13 years ago, right? I'm going to have to look up my bio to see what happened in the last 13 years. I don't even know if I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, uh, exactly. And let's, let's, let's talk about that because let's, let's find out what you remember. <laughs> um, what I remember, so 13 years ago. I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm just going to say this, right? So at the just for me as a friend of yours and like 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 our i would say like our friendship has grown much like later even like after 2012 or something right but um i feel like at this point in time in your career let's say i would like to uh, ask you more things about your private life in a way because oh, sure. because because just be, because just what kind of like the way it feels or looked from the outside back then was that you were sort of like in the process of sort of reinventing yourself after after the crimson after leaving crimson and then and yeah and also and also um, um, having more things in my life than just music to be yes. honest yes yes you know, broadening broadening and and. Uh, um, you know, I never had a home until I moved into this house like 14 years ago. Not really. I mean, I lived places, but. Um, uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't aware of that. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I lived places, but um, I can remember. It's funny when I was in New York um, and, and, and married at the time. No, not at the time, but with the with the woman that I got married to. Maybe I was. I can't. <laughs> Don't put this in. Um, um, I remember living in this this uh, loft in New York City when when we left and I moved to New Mexico. I'd been in that loft for five years, and I and I realized that's the longest I've ever lived in one spot in my entire life, even as a kid. Mm-hmm. Oh. And it, it's not like we moved around a lot. I wasn't like in a military family, but like every three or four years, something was changing. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of when I got here and, and um, 
had the responsibility and uh, uh, of having a child and wanting to be with the child. Like like music had the the professional side had the balance with life. Otherwise, it I, I, it wasn't going to work. And, and you know, before that, it was kind of fine, right? Like you just you're just going to go. You're going to get on. You know, you're going to go and and. Um, not like if anybody stands in your way, you're going to just run them over, but it's like, basically, you know, Robert called and wants to do this. I'm, I'm there, you know, or, you know, you don't, you know, financially you, you can't afford to say no to things, but also you're, you're, you're on your way somewhere. And, and um, I think kind of when I moved, I mean, it, it, it it's not the house, but just that the time period of when I moved here, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm setting up a, a, I didn't really know it at the time, but I'm setting up a, a kind of a ground base for myself, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, music, musically, but also, uh, you know, just, just life. Yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, really, really quite interesting because I can, I can sort of like feel something like that happening in my life now, um, now. Right, like, because like, because like, because of the baby, because of the baby, the baby yeah. yes, and and also obviously COVID plays a big role in yeah, yeah. in uh, making that process go quicker. I think, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the thing that. about having a baby, as as you know, it's like it's not just that you want to be responsible and make a protective thing. It's also you. We traveled so much. You you don't want you want to be there. Yes. You know, you want to you want to be with them, and, and uh, you don't really want to miss stuff. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, like for me, it's it's uh, you know, I well, first of all, I don't really know if I'm gonna go back touring much. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah. But I've, I've you know spoken with uh, with with Jessica, and uh, and we will, um, you know, I can go. Like right. we, we know that I can go, but I will have to see how it turns out for me. If I, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I always have. I mean, I, I, the, you've probably done longer tours than me. Maybe not because the industry kind of changed. But the longest tour I ever did was with Sylvia and Fred, mm-hmm. and that was like ten weeks or nine weeks. Mm-hmm. I, I've never done longer with than that. And and when I ever. Everybody I worked with Crimson, I mean, when I joined Crimson, I was the youngest guy by far. And they were all like, we're going to work, you know, they didn't want to do long tours. Uh, And we actually did some, but there were breaks. But um, as much as that is awesome, as you know, like when you play 60 shows, man, you get fucking great. And it gets really, it gets really easy. And there's a, a, easy isn't the, it's exactly the right you could take that word the wrong way, but it just gets com- comfortable play- playing. And you, you know, you find too, you can fine tune to like a super great level and you get more and more in sync after you, you finally, you're finally getting the, the, the reps that you would get uh, at the gym. Right. And you right. get them on tour. Right. And that's, yeah, yeah. And you're on stage yeah. and it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's like a new, it's a new venue every night. So you're, you're, you're always, you know, you're as, as much as I miss that, I re- actually really do like this one week go bananas, then come home and recover 
you know, and, and get, get back, you know, mm. two weeks, two weeks is probably, uh, it's hard for me to picture wanting to do something longer than that. You know, yeah, interesting. I think even, for me, even if, even if there was tons of money involved, it would be hard for me to, mm. No, for, for me, it's still, I would still say um, anything up to like 30 shows is what I would enjoy, what I enjoy. Right. And so five because, or six weeks. Yes. Yeah. Like really sink into it. Yeah. I mean, there was one tour in which we did like 42 shows or something. And that was actually like my, one of my first tours actually was that long. And I was, I was really uh, beat for like six months after that. It was like the recovery time was like yeah. three times as long as the actual. Well, that's, a, that's one of the things you have to learn too, right? Like how to manage your energy and make sure you're replenishing and yeah. You know, like the, um, for me actually like, like um, recharging after the show, just after the show, so not after the tour, that was the problem at the beginning for me. Like I was not able to like when, you know, like when we take the bow, like and people go, you know, the applause and everything. I think that would should have been the moment where I kind of like draw energy back into my body. And for the first couple, three years of the, the professional touring I did, I simply didn't know how to do that. And that was kind of like, I, I guess now looking, you know, in hindsight, that was really, um, I, I, I just wasn't aware that I should have getting, found a way to do that. <laughs> so you kind of just got worn, just drained out. Yes. Because I was, I was only, I was only giving and not taking, like I, I didn't, I didn't understand that that was part of the deal, right. That I should also take from the audience. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Right. And then it's tricky too, because depending on your, your, and, and I mean in general, depending on your personality, the, the, the post show, I mean, there's the breaking down the gear probably because you guys didn't have roadies like most of the projects now, but also uh, the hang with the fans at the merch stand, depending on your personality, that can be like Adrian just totally jives on that. Yes. And I can, but also it can be, uh, um, it can just be too many personalities. Now you're suddenly engaging with after being on stage and it's just, it's really hard to recover from that. You know, I, I really acquired amazing skills, uh, doing those after show, you know, meetings with, with fans, like for example, um, like one of the, the, the most powerful things I ever learned is that if somebody if there's a person where you get a strange vibe or you feel some sort of like, like the, you know, the, this idea of the energy vampire, this kind of thing. Right. So what I learned is I actually, I make contact first. Mm. I actually take a step forward and shake the person's hand or something. Right. right? right. And that kind of like breaks that spell somehow. Yeah. And that, that, that was like, um, extremely helpful to learn that. And, uh, <laughs> it probably turns off the the thing that um and we're talking about really negative people we're, we're not talking no, we're not I mean, talking about the general but it, no. it, that, that action probably turns off uh their attraction yes exactly it, the negative attraction you know yeah. whatever, whatever that is you know yeah exactly yeah and and so like over the years i've i've learned to to enjoy touring and 
And yes, like I said, I I like you know I like playing say. I would say like the magical number something like 17 18 shows where then things kind of like go downhill like you i start usually start making more mistakes or whatever can't focus anymore or i play breathless right and at the same time i'm in my head i'm singing the melody of the firebird suite and stuff like that happened to me right like <laughs> and but then if you if you get over that like yeah. then like there's like the, this like the supercharged performance and um mm -hmm. yeah so that's you know like i uh, so so that means also that basically after crimson you um you only did like shorter shorter runs yeah. also with also with the security project right security project you know one-off stuff with uh um um uh, Pat stuff. There's there's a project. I mean, we're talking much later, but this this Indian progressive rock oh, yeah. thing here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, different things. People would bring me in for for different things, and and it's obviously different when you go into somebody else's project because you're you're. Um, <clears throat> it's about. Um, it's kind of cool. I like it, but it's it's an extra. It's in a it's a different kind of challenge where you're you're. You, you you have to learn music that's phrased in a way that's not by your choice you know so different choices of, of phrasing and also um the challenge of blending the yeah. sound and the instrument and uh yeah yeah and it's uh you know it's funny i was going through we did this uh we did this little uh um eddie jobson birthday celebration with with andre online the other night and uh, the other day and Alex Makachek and Marco were there and and I thought, well, I bet I have my I have my UKZ notes. So I went over there and I pulled out and I have this huge stack of, I don't even know what to do with it, like my session stuff or or like these gigs where like here's all my notes and my rehearsal notes. And so there there are a lot of little things like that, but um, and I won't be able to remember them all. And and session stuff here, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But as far as playing, as far as playing live, um, Definitely, um, you know, at the most, um, one thing a month or once every other month, kind of a, you know, for a week or in a bit, something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the um, one uh, facet of your work that we haven't talked about yet at all is the uh, you did some scoring work, right, as well, like for. I don't know. Did now did did you sell yeah. your, your stuff yourself, or were you part uh, of a library? So, or um, the way the way that worked, yeah. I, I um, there was a period, um, pretty intensely, not intensely, but just uh, it was kind of like a beat. It was kind of like a beat career for me, um, and it goes back pretty far um, after Crimson, but. Um, late 90s, mid 90s, maybe around Crimson. Uh, mm -hmm. I worked with this um, um, TV producer guy who he he had started using um, uh, uh, he was an ESPN producer, uh, a sports network, and uh, he had started using some of my stuff and uh, some of the California Guitar Trio stuff in um, there was an Olympics that they they put some of our stuff in, and then um, 
an Iron Man something, you know, like pre-recorded mm-hmm. stuff. And then, then, then Al contacted me to do, uh, actually do the music for uh, a, a specific show. Yeah. It was usually a, sh- a specific show and um, they were essentially um, documentaries. So I did like probably 20 of them. And um, I, I, it, it suited me really well. He, he, uh, because it wasn't, um, it was this kind of scoring where it wasn't to picture. They never had the picture. I never even saw the picture. He would just, he would just say, we need some stuff like this. And then I would make a bunch of stuff and he's like, okay, now give me more of that, but a little more like this. And so I would just make them a, a, a basically a toolbox of stuff. And I did, um, I did a whole series on shark fishing. I, I did a whole thing on uh, uh, a race uh, across the, the Moroccan desert, a foot race. Um, uh, I did a whole uh, couple of shows uh, on the Iowa wrestling team. Um, and so, and I did a couple of themes for him. And what was cool was um, the the money was pretty good. And also they didn't buy out the music entirely. So I owned all the music. That was, that was the deal. They didn't, they didn't pay. Um, this is beyond what most people are interested in, but they didn't pay ongoing royalties. They just paid you a fee, but they didn't own the music. So Essentially, I kept working for Al and then a couple of other side projects, and I just built up this catalog of music next to my own work. And it's um, there's similarities. Sometimes I use the 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 war guitar. Sometimes I didn't. Um, sometimes I would take. I, I usually, uh, but it's not. It's not. Um, it's not usually uh, material that I would say, oh, here's my artistic output. You know, it was, it was functional music. It's, it's good, but it was, it was functional. I seem to have, I seem to have a real good niche about uh, making stuff that dialogue can fit over. I think it's mm-hmm. because, um, which kind of led to one of the, the, the strategies that we used in a quote in Quodia, but which is basically, um, to do this kind of scoring, the music has to be missing. It can't have everything in it. It has to be missing elements that make it actually a complete piece of music. And that's where the imagery and the story go. So uh, I, I really liked doing it. And I, I always took it as a challenge. It's like, I wanna, I wanna explore doing these kind of chord changes. Or uh, one of them was, um, uh, and there's a really interesting per- professional connection, which I'll tell you in a second. Uh, one of them was uh, a documentary about uh, an Irish boxer. And I've always wanted to have a harmonium. And I thought, mm-hmm. I'm going to buy a harmonium with the money and use it like an accordion or, or a harmonica or something. So I would do stuff like that for like for each project. I would take on, a, you know, something uh, uh a new, a new kind of sample library or a new way of, mm-hmm. of uh, arranging or whatever. <clears throat> and that always worked. And um, that kind of petered out. And what I found out actually, what, what I found out with this, uh, with this Irish thing might've been the last one I did, the Irish boxer ESPN is owned by Disney, I think. And so 
we were making, it's kind of brilliant when you think about it, but pretty capitalist. Uh, we were making uh, this one or I think it was a two, two part, one hour each documentary about this Irish boxer. The whole purpose of this thing, it served two purposes for, ES, for ESPN, which was, it was the story of the guy who was in the movie uh, Cinderella Man. I think that might've been Russell Crowe or like big Disney movie about this Irish boxer, which was coming out, you know, in nine months. And so we were, our whole, this whole thing on ESPN was basically an advertisement for that movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, you know, some of that trickled down on me. And then what I found out later was that maybe it wasn't I was doing the shark fishing thing, which was pretty absurd, but uh, I learned pretty well. It's funny, I made a bunch of stuff and I actually got Pat to play on some of the shark fishing because I thought, you know, let's do some really thrashy stuff. And then when I finally saw, <coughs> um, saw it with the video, I was like, holy shit, you can't have thrashy symbols on top of thrashy ocean sounds. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's like it, everybody's mm-hmm. filling up the mid range. So I had to re I kind of had to rethink that. But what it turned out was that this whole documentary thing on ESPN was basically, so the president, um, and I guess I wouldn't say this profession if I was still doing this kind of stuff, but basically the president of ESPN wanted to have something on the network that would let him go to the award ceremonies mm-hmm. because sports doesn't do that. So he would make, they would make these documentaries and then he could enter them in and he could go to the golden globes or whatever it was, you know, I don't think they ever won anything, but it was like his ticket to be part of like serious TV. <laughs> Makes total sense. Uh, so, so I had, so I have this, so that's kind of my licensing back is like, I have this gigs and gigs of this, this stuff. And eventually I made some, um, I think it was cause I scored, uh, this Russian film with Pavel, which the English translation was dead daughters. And I wanted to do, uh, it was a kind of a thriller or well, it was a horror film basically. Um, and I wanted to do for some reason, I wanted to do like, have you ever seen this movie um, crash, but not the, not the LA crash, but the David Cronenberg crash. Yeah. That's, yeah. Okay. So um, Cronenberg always used um, Michael Nyman. No, it's uh <laughs> it's the guy who did uh, um shit. The guy who did Lord of the Rings, Howard. Sure. Say it again. Or sure. Yeah, Howard Shore. So Howard Shore scores Cronenberg's films. And on this film on Crash, there's a lot of electric guitar, but clean electric guitar and really dissonant stuff. I don't, you probably won't remember it, but it's, if you, if you go online and check it out, it's really strange. It's kind of like, I don't know who, I mean, Howard wrote it, but it's almost like clean versions of Glenn Bronca kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like very, And so I thought, I don't know why I thought I'll do that for this russian film mm-hmm. so i i tried to i set up some recording uh in a in a warehouse and that, that didn't quite work but i had these really kind of more dissonant kind of clean sounds and i like some of those so much that i thought well i'm gonna i'm gonna uh 
I do actually want to release those. And that's kind of led me to this, this, this record. I put out music for pictures that took a lot of this scoring stuff and actually kind of assembled it in a more mm-hmm. um, um, uh, music way. And um, I don't even know how successful the, the record is artistically because the pieces are all very short, but I, that's kind of what I wanted to do was put some of that there. So yeah, there's, there's, there's that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, before that you had uh, put out the Unto in the Sky compilation, right? That was probably yeah. 2003 or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so your, your next outing after, after Quoria was music for pictures. I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty okay. sure. No better than <laughs> but, me. No better than me. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and then already then there's the, uh, uh normalizer thing. Yeah. I was going to say mod- modulator or uh, what, yeah, what did yeah. you call it? I called my modulator, which was yeah. uh, the Marco Minimums project, which which came out of this working with Eddie Jobson and Marco and and uh, <clears throat> Marco. Um, you didn't know Marco at the time, otherwise you probably would have been asked. You could still make one, Marcus. <laughs> no, I, I I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, not, not, exactly. not, not, at, not at this point. But but I found I found the idea great. I mean, like yeah, like yeah. you know, like the, it's interesting. You know, Marco is German, right? So um, he he had this band called Illegal Aliens in in Germany, uh, which was his project with uh, Fabio, which is like one of my best friends, bass player and producer. So so like I have been like kind of like associated with with Marco, but never never really had much personal contact. Yeah, yeah. Well, the modulator project was crazy. I, it, it, your response is exactly what I said when Marco asked me at one of Eddie's rehearsals. He said he um, he's got this project. I've got this project, and you know, I'm playing a solo drums, and um, maybe you would like to be one of the guys who makes a full record on top of my 51 minute drum solo. And I was like, man, I don't want to do that. <laughs> don't, don't ask me to do that. And then he said, well, okay, but I'll, you know, I'll, maybe I'll just send it to you anyway. Alex is doing one, uh, Alex Makachek and, and Mike Keneally's doing one. I was, yeah. like, oh. I was like, okay, that makes me actually not want to do it even more because I'm sure those guys are totally rocking it. Mm-hmm. So we went away and like six months later, he's like, think about this project again. And I was like, you know, I just finished my version and I'm like playing tablas and scatting and, like tablas and scatting and it's like mike's mike did his he did it in like 10 days and alex is working on his and then there's these other guys i'm like all right fuck give me the files and so i i brought them home and i really didn't want to do it i even said i think i said no to him twice and then he finally just mailed it to me and he gave me the files and i put the it was eight tracks of drums you know eight mics but a single performance but it's his it's his uh it's his warm up every morning he plays and he just recorded it once. And I put the files up and I looked at them like 51 minutes of solid drumming on eight tracks. And I just looked at it and I was like, nah, and I closed the session <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, I can't do this. And then, then he sent me, he sent me a piece of Alex's, the first piece of Alex. And he sent me a piece of his version. Uh, I don't think he sent me any of Keneally's, but when I listened to his, I was like, this is crazy. This is not even, I, I, I just pictured like these, these 
these heavy fusion guys with massive chops, like, you know, not dweedle dweedling, but just really nailing in this shit. And Marcos was, it was like bathroom humor with, with uh, silly voices and I don't know, penny whistles and tablas like, okay, that's not what I was expecting. And then Alex's um, was, was beautiful. And I thought, okay, well, look, I'm, I, I can't do what these guys do at all. But maybe let's see what happens if I just do what I do. Marco didn't, he didn't even seem to care what, like he just, you know, just try it. So I did the, I worked on the first three minutes and I did the absolute opposite of what um, Alex or, or, or Keneally did. And I really enjoyed it. And it was kind of, and I sent it to, to, to Marco and he's like, great, do it. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm in. But then, you know, and I got in, so I would pick, um, I would pick different sections to work on that seemed like, oh, I, I can figure out what to do here. It was the most, in a way, that one of the most challenging things I've ever done. And it, it went on for two years. It went on for two fucking years. And basically what would happen was that, first of all, Marco didn't play this as a concept of like, I'm going to... Uh, make a bed for other musicians to make an entire record like seven i think at this point there were seven different records made on top of this drum solo he just played his drum solo and so it's our job to figure out like how the fuck do you make it work on top of this this drum solo you know so there were definitely parts it was like i'll, I'll get to that part later you know and and, and, and it, it wasn't formless it was a form that he kind of he had like kind of a, a, a map that he improvises through mm -hmm. And so I would work on different sections and uh, the ending was great. And this section was great and here's there. And, and so I slowly was sewing it together. Uh, the biggest challenge was you would have two ideas and there maybe would be a, a one minute uh, place where they, the, the, your ideas didn't connect but Marco played through. Now you figure out how to sew them together. And oftentimes you would sew them together and now it's not working. So this is where, this is where I really felt like I was getting into what, what writers do where they write a story and then they have to rewrite it and rewrite it. I felt like, I feel like musicians don't do that. They don't rewrite. Like if, if it's not working, you just write something new. And mm -hmm. here, like I had to figure out, okay, do I, do I kill this idea over here? and bring this one over or do I bring this one back? Or sometimes I would just kill a little bit of both and put a new section in. Mm -hmm. And the idea was the, the, the only kind of rule was that you don't edit the drums. I did do a little fiddling bit with like, I would process parts of the drums, uh, but there was no cutting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, what, what eventually happened. So there was this constant challenge of like, I got to get something up in this section. And then I'll put something else and then I'll see, well, the first thing isn't working. So I take that away and then I bring this idea in and it, it, there was that like, and then the sewing together ideas, Malik, uh, Alex Makachek's was 24 tracks. I, I don't remember how many mine was. It was over 20, but you know, individual pieces. Mm -hmm. But the real challenge was once you've gone through all the parts that make sense to you, now you're left with three parts that you cannot figure out what to do. And, and so like the, the, out of the two years, the first 18 months got me through like 90% of the record. 
And then the last six months was spent on probably five or six minutes of, of drumming. And eventually uh, Alex Mackinchek and I would have, um, we would have like therapy sessions together on the phone. Like, what do we do in this section? Like, I was like, what is Marco doing? He's like, oh, he's playing the, like, I can track the cymbals, but the, like the kick drum, or I can track the kick drum. I was like, okay. Alex is like, no, I got it figured out. And we would beat time. You know, we would, uh, what, do you, what, 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 do you, what do you call it? Beat map. I would beat map it. So yeah. sometimes I was using MIDI, but also just to try to make sense out of this stream of drumming. And eventually we found the section where the, the worst section, the hardest section to deal with was where Marco's playing in 9-8, this 9-8 kick drum pattern. And Marco does Marco does these 15-16 things or, or, or 9-16 where it's like one, two, da, 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 and the and the beat starts again. It's not a mm-hmm. um this kind of uh kind of crimson style of rock rhythm where the odd time signatures, there's still this pulse underneath that you can. Marco's like, he, he does the skipping, the skipping. Yeah, I'll skip it. Well, not only was he doing that, but in this section, he's playing in nine, eight with a kick drum. And then the cymbals come in on top in nine. Mm-hmm. Then they go to eight over nine, then mm-hmm. seven over nine, and then mm-hmm. six, and then back the other way. So I'm like, and, and it's just filled with drumming. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it took me months to figure out what to do. And I eventually felt like I found a good good solution so it's a it's a uh it's i think it's an interesting record it's really challenging to listen to it's not i mean i challenge anyone to sit down and listen to the whole thing it's uh not just mine but and then you know one of the things that i i tried to do um i tried to make us a compilation record where um i got all the bits of everybody else's record and then tried to edit them together into a not all of it, but like all the juicy bits and edit together into a single record. And that ended up failing. I can't remember if it just wasn't successful or if we lost ambition. I should look at it again. But it, the, the coolest the coolest thing about the whole project is to listen to just the first three minutes and like the last six minutes of everybody's record and hear, hear what they did with the mm-hmm. same drum. And mm-hmm. uh, that, that's really cool. Yeah, so... I was I was really happy I did it. I was really happy I got done with it. I'm happy it's there. You know, there's uh, a couple of things I want to say. So first of all, I think that this kind of um, approach um, to kind of like solve a puzzle, right, mm-hmm. is is the best composition class you can take. Yeah, 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 yeah. Problem solving, puzzle solving, and. Uh, yeah, because you can't undo. You're you're stuck with some things, and you've got to you've got to you've got to adapt and in juicy yeah. ways. And it's interesting because because you said like in musicians usually don't uh, re uh, well don't rewrite but write something new, right? For me, for me, the uh, the rewriting is the challenge actually. Like I want to like if there's if there is a problem, I want to solve it with the material that's there. I don't want to take something out right so I, I i may want to add i you know maybe I, I need to add something to solve the problem and i'm okay with that but usually i don't want to take anything away from the initial from the material that i generated right so um 
I, I found I found the the idea um, and also like you know back then it was like publicized this project right the normalizer project and I, I thought it was uh, was a great thing and I in an ideal world I would have loved to tackle it just just because of the the challenge and this is kind of like the uh, uh, second thing I wanted to say so like the theme that now kind of like comes through a little bit which really we didn't that didn't really kind of like show its face um in the first uh few um uh, conversations we had right is this this aspect of that you you do like to be challenged and you do even create these situations in which you challenge yourself like the example you say you buy an instrument right yeah. you buy a new piece of software you 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 know you're forced uh, you're forced to uh to go for yeah. it with uh you know something's un unknown or uncomfortable yeah that's that's really what what you know that we have that in common for sure that's that's um yeah it's it's interesting because like if you like i paid very close attention to to what you were saying like in, in our series here of conversations and and it it really this aspect really has only kind of like appeared after the uh, the crimson years like when you start talking about quotia and talking about it sure sure but also yeah. if, if you remember uh um i was doing a similar thing on the four track cassettes as a kid yes you know yeah i i, I do know it's just yeah. <laughs> um yeah and, and, and i, I mean go, go ahead no, I just wanted to say that it's it's sort of like interesting because as you said, like you you were like forty two and and like entering this new phase and with your child and and you've got the house and and so even though like uh, the um, on the surface or like on the outside things really did change quite a bit for you, right? And you went from like touring regularly to touring much less. And, you know, shorter periods of time that you were away from home, but there, like this, this, this core theme of, of, uh, of looking for challenges, right, kind of, kind of remained and and uh, stayed there. And like we haven't talked about your your interest in, uh, uh, in sports, right? Yes. Well, and I was just thinking about that because I've been pondering it. Actually, just since last night, I've been pondering it again. I was like, why? You know, last night, I, it, short story, I, I actually, I started doing Aikido right when I moved in this house too. And I think that connects to that time period. Mm -hmm. But now I'm practicing jujitsu. And last night I was <clears throat> um, rolling with these two guys. One of them's 38 and the other's maybe 30 in his mm -hmm. late 20s. And um, I just turned 60. And they're totally kicking my ass. I mean, I'm holding my own to a certain degree, but they're also kicking my ass. And I, and when I got home last night, I was thinking, <clears throat> what a strange thing. Like, um, I don't, I don't mind getting my ass kicked. Like, I, I, I know I'm putting myself in a challenging situation. And, and, and part of the challenge, I was kind of half thinking that, and the other half is the way you get good at it this 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 thing is to uh put yourself in an awkward situation and and, and and i'm talking about like technically like if you want to get good at defending your your arm being broken 
and I'm being exaggerating a little bit. Yeah, it can get broken, but you tap mm-hmm. out. But mm-hmm. a specific thing, or let's say a triangle choke, which is where you're 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 getting choked here. If you want to get good at that, defending that and not getting caught in that, you have to put yourself in that situation. So you either start there or you decide. Um, Oh, you know, it's like going on stage with five strings instead of six strings, mm-hmm. you know, or, 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 or let's say I'm not going to use any delays tonight mm-hmm. or, or what happened to me at, at, at one of the shows that you saw, well, you saw the show where my, my looping device didn't work, but I had another one where, um, I was playing the piece and I don't think you were there. Well, I was, I was there. I was playing a piece and the, the, like I was supposed to go, I, I, it was time for the solo and I had this great like fuzzed, super sustained sound and I went for it and it was like, blink, totally clean. And I couldn't, there was no way I could fiddle in the moment. So I was like, well, fuck, I'm just going to have to play the solo with a banjo sound now. It, it's a little bit like that. Like you, like you, yeah. you, you, and, and the thing I was wrestling with last night thinking about this was, am I really putting myself here because I'm trying to develop a new skill or I just like being in situations where you you're, you're about to fail at any moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, okay, it is teaching you skills and you, you, you know, you don't, you don't, <clears throat> at this point, I'm pretty sure I can say you don't learn by being successful. You actually learn by failing at something and then processing it. Like if you're always good at drawing, you're not going to, you know, or if everybody tells you you're the best bass player, you don't, you don't, you know, but if you put yourself in a situation where you're having to play with a drummer who's doing something weird, you know, so it's a, it's an odd thing. I'm still maybe in 15, maybe you can figure it out or in 15 years, I'll, I'll know. It's, it's, it's something about just being used to being challenged and wanting to be not, not being afraid of failing at it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, that at, at some point I was, well, well, let me just ask you something else before, um, in your, in your family, has there been like a theme of competitiveness? Um, not, I, I wouldn't say so. Um, although <clears throat> both my parents were very successful at what they did. Um, my, my father as a businessman and, and he took, um, he took some radical jumps in his business, like doing things outside of the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother's was basically is, well, she's retired now, but, um, academic and did some crazy ass shit. She used to go, she studied, I know we're not talking about my mother, but she studied, um, edu- women's education. And she did her, her, her doctoral thesis. She went to Northern Ireland and Palestine and interviewed women in the militarized states about how they passed on things. And she would go with the Catholic nuns and sneak under the, the, the border from Israel to Palestine and interview Arab women. So that's pretty over the top. Not competitive, but just kind of com- com- that kind of confidence that you you need to to go on stage and feel like <laughs> feel like you know what you're doing even though you don't 
you know what i mean you know like i mean it's it's just like you had um like role models in your parents uh, like people who were successful or or pushing forward you know in, in a way yeah right and so so yeah yeah, interesting because I never felt competitive like um like somebody's got to win you know somebody's got to be on top not that kind of a thing yeah how was how was uh your relationship with Kimo in this regard uh Kimo is like a uh like a weird kind of I never had a uh I, I didn't grow up with a brother mm -hmm. I had a sister who was much younger than me when I was a kid um, so chemo is like, like what I imagine that would be like, although probably a better version of it. Um, musically, not competitive at all. Um, um, it's like, uh, the thing is about, I feel like about Texans is that we, we grow up with this sense of, um, there's this trickster element, like in our I feel like in our, in our, in our blood, or at least that's how it, it, it was with my family. And, and, and that's how I feel kind of at my, I have to reel this back in like the way, the way Texans are affection is they tease the fuck out of each other basically, but also mm -hmm. practical jokes. And, and um, so that just totally goes with chemo right away. Like mm -hmm. you know, I think the first, you know, we had met, we had rehearsed and then, we went home and like the first tour we were going to meet up at, at the Copenhagen airport and I got there early. I didn't know him that well, but I knew, you know, enough and there was enough. And the first thing that happened was he, he snuck up behind me and stole my laptop bag and hid it in the, in the airport. <laughs> Copenhagen. And then he came and said, hello. And I couldn't find my bag, you know, and that's, that's like how we, that's how we begin. <laughs> <laughs> And so there was always this playful, um, the funny thing about chemo and I, and I was thinking about it the other day too, because I, you know, he worked with the Kronos quartet and, and I was like, Oh, that's awesome. He's like, yeah, we recorded. And the first thing he said about the Kronos quartet is they're not very fun. The cellist he's, he's fun. He likes to have a good time, but the other guys, eh, they just want to play music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I see. <laughs> <laughs> So that's a little, the, the, the thing that, that with about chemo is that in a way with chemo, I kind of met somebody who will go further than I could ever go. Like in, in terms of teasing or playing a joke or something on somebody. Um, mm -hmm. And actually interesting enough, chemo is the only guy um, that I've ever used a keto on in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't even very much. I was like, okay, this does, this does work. And it wasn't because he was, he was just drunk and getting a little too aggressive. And I just, I just held his, I just grabbed his hand and held it in a certain way. And he was like, oh shit, now I can't go anywhere. I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Calm yourself down. <laughs> uh, that, I think that, you know, I, I, I guess if I had to analyze it, that kind of playfulness also goes with this give yourself a challenge it's it's similar it's like the way it's the way through it don't don't you think like you have to you have to be able to this like serious play you have to be able to um like step back from the problem and 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 
find a find a way of looking at it that's not a normal not a normal that's like more holistic and not normal and go down go down that strange path and i think that's really similar to the sense of play 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 you know whether it's just between people or as as musical you know if you're just going to do the normal thing um it usually doesn't work in those puzzle situations it's going to be the wrong thing you gotta you gotta find you gotta find a way in so yeah yeah exactly and and, and you know and that's that's why designing puzzles for yourself um is probably um it's like this this is something that's come come up in my in my teaching and coaching activities is like how can people really become great artists rather than performers or just you know technical players or composers right, right. like you you basically want to design your own uh curriculum the, your own tools you you want to like everything every single element of what you use in order to practice right once to ideally it's something that you designed yourself right that you created yourself and um and i i like i i see that as like a commonality between at least between you and i somehow that there's like this idea okay so yeah i've got this new project but in order to make it interesting for me i need to impose an strict uh, restriction on myself so it's yeah. interesting and you know yeah and forces you to go somewhere you wouldn't no normally go right like like yeah. you know, uh and i think that's what's cool because you 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 find your you know you find your way and you find your vocabulary even in even in ways that you wouldn't normally speak it's still it's still in there yeah exactly i mean for me it was like like literally only practicing chromatic stuff for like the first let me think almost 20 years of my career practicing my instrument crazy but it, it kind of like um that was just my thing and that's why i, I probably I, I i do what i do because i did that mm -hmm. You know, so the the um, Aikido, as you mentioned, and the Jiu-Jitsu, and um, that sort of like had like really became a, a much bigger thing in your life than you probably expected, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, uh, I wasn't planning on that. I the the, the Aikido came uh, kind of from two directions. One, I wanted. Um, it was recommended to me because I was having so much trouble from playing the instrument and, mm -hmm. and, and traveling and carrying the suitcases around the world and then playing the instrument and the stress, um, in the elbow and, uh, and the wrist and probably the shoulders, but, uh, immediately like just the, the pain and, and an acupuncturist said, you know, you might go down, and, and, and meet Bruce Bookman and, and do some Aikido. I was like, that's a weird thing, but uh, the dojo's just down the street. And then with my child, I thought, I want something, wouldn't it be cool if there was something that we could do together mm -hmm. that was like that? So, um, and it would be good. So we, we went down and, and uh, watched Bruce like, um, 
teaching Aikido to the kids was, it was amazing. It was the opposite of, uh, you know, we have the stereotype here in the Northwest, which is a true stereotype of like extra sensitive and extra caring and extra <laughs> careful and don't offend. And, you know, and, and the first class I just went to watch, um, uh, Bruce Bookman with the kids, he kicked three boys off the mat. And I was like, and, and all the mothers are sitting there and they're like, Oh shit, my kid just got kicked off the mat. And, and Bruce took them to the side and he said, okay, so we've talked about this before. Uh, you guys are off the mat for the day. You don't go home. You sit there and watch us. Next time you come back, I want you to really think about whether you want to be here or not. Just because your dad wants you to be here, that's not good enough. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, I just fell in love with this guy. Like, that's the opposite of and so it, so anyway, I, I watched for and I, I watched for like six months um, while while my kid was doing the class and and Melissa, who you also met when you were in there, uh, she's a, a, a ex New York City ballerina who, who teaches Aikido. You know, I was watching the stuff they're doing to the wrists, and I was like, "Oh my god, I can't!" And she's like, "No, no, no, you got to come out, come onto the mat. You say when to stop." You know, and so I started. I started practicing, and man, within six months, my my limbs felt totally different, and. Mm -hmm. Um, I just fell in love with the practice and uh, Bruce is a very high level world-class guy from New York and was, I think he was the youngest black belt given out um, at, at a super high level dojo in New York city. And so I practiced up through my uh, black belt there and um, you know, a little bit because we, we did a, I brought some of the touch guitarists into the dojo and, Mm -hmm. And we experimented with that. And then I got, um, I got into jujitsu because uh, Bruce is also a black belt in uh, Brazilian jujitsu. And, and I fell in love with that. And that's pretty much all I do now. And it's, it's, uh, it's so consuming to, to, to learn these things, you know, with, with Aikido to, to the, the amount of falling that you take and dealing with your body and being challenged, um, it just filled a whole, it probably filled out like stuff that I was doing as a musician that I didn't have to do anymore. Like it probably, it actually probably freed up some, my need to be ch challenged. I feel like that's how it is now. Like I, I, I'm able to have that kind of challenge over here that's super physical and then the, the music kind of there's not so much pressure on being a musician because I'm, I'm, you know what I mean? Cause some of that yeah. I'm working on it there and the, the physical challenge and, and, and all of that. And then with jujitsu, you're actually really fighting and it's super technical and also completely improvised. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what's so cool. That's what's so cool about jujitsu. It's just one-on-one -on -one and everyone, everyone's body is different and everyone's strategy and how they use their body is different. So every time you're with somebody, it's a totally new improvisation. Um, yeah, I just, I, I love it. And I'm, I, I kind of wrestle with um, now, you know, I wrestle with how much time or energy to put into it. Um, 
Like when I don't do jujitsu for a week, I get so much more music done, but then I start to feel twitchy. You know, my body, my body kind of gets depressed if I'm not going how, there. How often do you go? Uh, like five times a week. And that, that is you, you, you kind of have to do that or would three times a week work two for you? Two times is not enough, uh, because you, 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 uh, it hurts more mm -hmm. like, uh, you're, 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 you're more sore. Like you can get to, you don't ever get not sore most of the time, but you, you get to like somewhere you get into a plane where it's enough, you're moving your body enough and it's being challenged enough that you get comfortable. Um, And then there's a little like too much and, and that too much is really depends on how old you are. I think, you know, I, I can do a lot. I can actually do quite a bit, but um, the recovery time, you know, and it's not like boxing or something like that, but just, just the movement and being, mm -hmm. being squished by guys. And if, if you don't actually get injured um, and I, I've been lucky not, not being injured in jujitsu. I've gotten injured with a keto quite a bit. Mm -hmm or at least a few times, but, um, yeah, that, and, and now I'm, I, I was able to, during the quarantine, uh, uh, one of the guys I had been working with at, at one of the schools, he didn't want to be around anybody. And we kind of vetted each other for how we were, um, social distancing. And we kind of decided we could work together. So we've been working in his garage, mm -hmm. uh, year and it's been great it's been really interesting actually you'll find this interesting because when we because of how you how music is taught and learned it's just just what we were talking about um you know normally with these these martial arts you go to a class and there's uh, an advanced person teaching and they show you moves and you practice them and then they critique you and and, and they're leading the They're leading a curriculum, right? And I've been doing this for many years and, and learning stuff. It's great. When the quarantine hit and, and Mike and I are left to our own devices, like we can do anything. Well, now we have to decide that it's such a, it's, it's, it's probably not as broad a sport as music is broad, but it's still pretty broad. Like there's all these different ways you can go. And when you get more advanced, people specialize in, And uh, within the practice of like, these are the kind of moves that I like to do. And these are, these are the kind of things that work against, against you. So we were left to our own devices and now we had to make our own curriculum and, and based on what we wanted to work on. So we were now responsible for our own game. I don't know if that would ever happen if you're just going to class all the time. You know what I mean? Like you're just yeah. follow, following along and you're getting good. But, but having to uh, be forced to make your own game, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. So, yeah. It, exactly. You know, that's one of the, the things that I've tried to incorporate into my teaching is to sort of like have this, uh, this fuzziness in how I present stuff mm -hmm. so that, that people have a chance to find their own version, at least, of... Right. So, so it's, uh, that's, um, yeah. And you may, you're probably a little bit 
better. Uh, I have a hard, when I'm coaching with people, I do a similar, but I may even be like two hands off. Like if somebody doesn't know what they want to do, I feel like I can't even help them at all. I don't even know, like, I don't have, I don't feel even comfortable, like giving somebody a curriculum. Hey, let, let me give you an example for something that actually may help you. <laughs> so when I started with a stick, right. Uh, and I picked it up and felt so horrible. And, you know, we talked about that, right? So um, it was clear to me that, you know, I would have to start from somewhere. I couldn't just say, I don't know how, you know, like, okay. So then I said, okay, I need to take something that is not the instrument, but that is music mm. and say, okay, what does music require of me? Right. Okay. I want to start the note. I want to end the note. And that was the beginning of everything. Like, so I didn't have to know. I just had to kind of like decide for myself, okay, there's this, these two things that I simply, I simply um, claim that I know that they're important, right? And then you build on top of something right. that you basically do, you make, you basically decide that something is true. You know, right. you can't prove that it's true, but you just say, this is true. And from that truth, you kind of like build everything. Right. right. And, and, and that, that sort of, sort of is the way that I approach these, uh, meaning you, you decided what you think is, what you decide what's valuable and now you're going to work, you're going to build on that. Yes. And that's, and that's how I, how I deal with uh, this in, in coaching situations where like if, if, if like somebody hasn't, doesn't have any idea what they want to do and I don't have any idea, I simply improvise a truth and I, I improvise and I find one thing that I say, right. And then this, this one little thing that just is kind of like the trigger, or you could say like the foundation of not, you know, of, of starting the research, let's say, right. And then the research will modify the truth, right? So it's not, it's not that make having, having, uh, an opinion at the beginning, uh, leads you, uh, you know, it, <laughs> interesting because I have some associations here about like what we experienced in uh, the tapping world a little bit, but you know, like it's possible to change something, you know, while you research. Right. And so just, so if you just, if you just make, have this, this axiom at the beginning, like you say, okay, one plus one is two. Right. And that's, that's where you start your research. And then at some point you may come to a conclusion. Yeah. But if we do this and that, then maybe one plus one is whatever. Right. And, and so this, this is kind of what I try to do with, uh, with coaching um, in a coaching situation as well. So simply start from an improvised truth. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you, you need to get, you have to get movement going. Otherwise everybody should just go home. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, and you you know the interesting thing is that um, the, you can get the movement going even from from uh, not saying anything, mm. or or you could um, not finish your sentences, right? You you can you can kind of like make make people fill in the gaps like somehow, and then you take that as a and like I said as a foundation for research as a starting point for research. Right. Right. And, you know, I was actually thinking when, because, um, um, 
like because like they're they're sort of like a crossover between obviously like coaching is not therapy but there's no like <laughs> some of the similar tools yeah yeah and and like the the wrestling let's say like the the close contact the um i believe in my world for myself it has a lot to do with um with like the process of protecting your inner child or of of re-experiencing or like uh, recreating situations of uh, um, um, physical contact which basically you know you could say that that's touch but no it's more than touch it's actually pressure it's mm -hmm. like it's like feeling yourself right it's it's um it's it's really the the, the interaction with the physical world with uh, animate objects not just with like uh a yeah. glass of water or something or like you that. get a you get you get a sense of your own being able to be pressure give pressure and because it's not a chair uh you get you you're 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 getting you're working towards getting immediate feedback of what mm -hmm. you know what what am i doing here and 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 even fundamental i mean there's uh, the the two big fundamentals is gravity which is mm -hmm which actually is one of the things that's kind of radicalized my, my approach to the instrument being on my lap. Yeah. That's yeah. safe. That saved my hands. Um, and, you know, Bruce uh, Bookman also, I remember the first time he said this, I've heard him only say it twice, but the first time he said it, like some penny dropped for me. And he was like, he was describing uh, this uh, sense of being able to defend yourself as like a super high virtue in a, in a sense, like, a, 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 in the same sense of, and he might've even used this example. I can't remember of, of like a worm, mm -hmm. like a worm being able to wriggle away from something like you're, you're able to, you're kind of striving to access at that, at that level. It's not all these other things that we build, but it's actually like life, taking care of itself, you know, and protecting itself. And, uh, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty freaking core. And we're not talking, you know, shootouts or anything, but just, just like how, I don't know, the same thing. There's no difference between us and a worm. Yeah. Yeah. And well, there's a difference. There's a difference that like the, um, as human beings, we have found ways to uh, get cultured rather than natured. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. so that means that we also have means to remove ourselves from our natural um, ways to like, maybe, maybe, you know, nowadays, you don't really have to face as many fights as you needed to face like 150 years ago, even yeah. like in Texas, right? <laughs> you know, so uh, um, and, and it's and not like, even it's not even that you you are going to be defending yourself. It's just the sense that you could, that, that you're, that you're, that you're uh, engaging with that capacity. I think, I think that's, what's really cool about it. Yeah. I've, I've had an interesting experience um, maybe just like a couple or three weeks ago. Um, there was a, a bank holiday here and, you know, like in, in a uh, German, in Germany and mostly uh, uh, Catholic, right? Like, and it was, it was Easter Monday actually. And, and there was a guy um, 
at the apartment door. Um, and he claimed to be, you know, he was basically, uh, he was asking for money, right? But he was claiming that he comes from like an organization of um, uh, ambulance drivers or something like that. And he had like his full thing on, like, like you know, like the uniform. And, and I, at first I was shocked, like, I mean, something wrong, like, some, you know, somebody needs help in the house or, and, and, you know, and it was, like I said, it was a bank holiday in Germany. It's really a holy thing, a bank holiday. You don't ring somebody's doorbell, right, when, when it's a bank holiday. And so what happens is that I, I said, you know, he kind of just briefly showed me like his, uh, his little card, like, you know, and, and, and then he said, asked me if I wanted to sign on this list, you know, for donations, doing donations and something like that. And I said, no. And I, it's, I said to him, it, it feels strange that you're here. It's, uh, it's a bank holiday. And I don't see how a, a Christian organization would actually send somebody out to do that kind of thing on a, on a holy day, like really the most holy day in the, you know, in the calendar for those people. Right. So, uh, so then he just didn't want to go. And it was like, it was amazing. Like I really started shouting at that guy when he kind of like started arguing. If he, I said like, you need to leave the house. I don't even know how you came into the house. Mm. Like, if you want to talk to me, you need to ring the house bell, not my apartment door bell. I said that to him and I said, like, please leave. Right. And he was arguing. And I started shouting at him at some point, like it's a leaf. And I, I've never, never, uh, in a long time, I've never like done something like that. And it was was kind of incredible to to experience this this power again, where it was like I can tell this guy, even even if I feel bad afterwards, but I have the means to give them give him a sign mm -hmm. that I don't want him here, mm -hmm. right? And and then that, and this is interesting, and that reminded me of my time in my 20s probably or early 20s when i was starting to realize that like the, the human the, the 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 range of human behavior is is super wide but like what we use like uh, in 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 you know western cultures right it's just such a small part of it so why are we capable of aggression why are we capable of shouting? Why does our voice even allow that we shout and stuff like that, you know? And, and then I, I realized that, uh, yes, there are situations where aggression actually is justified. There's, there are situations where, where even, or especially physical, and, you know, this coming back to what you were saying, like physical interaction with another human being is something that is actually required. Where you 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 have you have to have this fight. It's not not everything is about being rational or about talking or talking it out. No, they're like because like we we kind of like meet these other people and somehow what we believe always believe is that the other person or the other human being is just like myself, you know, just like right. ourselves and. And I think that's like the biggest, biggest mistake, uh, like that we tend to make is not to see, not to see that there are actually quite a lot of, there can be quite big differences between these beings called human beings, right? And that's where, where like the outer range, outer parts, right, of the human expression kind of comes into play, 
Because like with a certain kind of being, you have to be a little bit more physical, like maybe even what, you know, you and Kimo, I don't know, you know, maybe, you know, with Pat, you wouldn't be like that, you know, but Kimo, you would be like that. And then, and, and so I think the, the ability to kind of like recognize and understand what kind of interaction is appropriate is sort of like something that we need to, that we need to uh, um, cultivate more as in as in maybe become more natural again or that kind of thing and this this is where i see this is kind of like what i uh if there's anything that i learned from meeting bruce you know that was kind of like the vibe i got like like he says like we're doing this here and it's it is part of what we are as human beings and there's nothing there's nothing here that is special even right it's not right? It's, yeah 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 and you know, you're you're what you're talking about, or, or how I hear it at least is this this idea of blending. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean it doesn't mean being peaceful all the time. Yeah. That's not gonna blend with certain things, you know. Yes. You you and when you're when you're blending with someone, and we can make the the analogy musically easily, but let's not for a second. When you're blending with someone, um they you're tuning into them, which lets them tune into you, which means there there's like a level of respect that comes and then you can defeat that, that in itself starts to diffuse the situation or, or can, you know, and yeah, so. for me, that's how, that's how Akito was for a long time for me and, and why it felt so musical because you're, you're learning to the, the, the the kind of martial art it is, is that you're learning to blend with somebody else's movement and then turn that against them. That's kind of the extreme version, but, and that's this fighting thing we don't really do as musicians uh, that you, that you try to get on top. And when people do that to you, you don't really want to play with them, but the sense of, of blending, um, you know, both sound wise and rhythm rhythmic wise and phrasing wise it's you know that's what we that's what we do yeah however i think that there like a certain certain amount of aggressive aggression like even in musical improvisation let's say is required it's like yeah. you know if if we wouldn't if you if there's no element like that then the roles simply stay as they are right like you have the drummer you have the bass player you have the rhythm guitars and you have the lead guitarist, right? Like, and and the roles never mix up. But then maybe sometimes the bass player wants to be John Entwistle, and you know, you know this. And and I think it's important because that way, that way, um, a real dynamic, um, you know, will appear. Yeah, and you, you definitely have to bring in new ideas, and you don't want you don't want status. Stasis. You don't want stasis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the aims I, are a little different, and I still, I still wrestle with that myself. I, I made so many connections with the keto practice and the music practice for the first few years that I, I started to um, get a little confused about whether the aims were the same, and I, I still try to make comparisons and with jujitsu and. Um, I often wrestle with, but the, our aims aren't the same. It's like it's it's got its own 
not just its own rule set, but, and then also why, other, why people are there is not necessarily the same reason that I'm there. Yeah, that's you know? exactly what I wanted to say. It's like uh, the, the, the place that you come from is, is important, right? So maybe, maybe let's say like most of the people, uh, in Seattle, um, are compassionate, right? Mm -hmm. Both of them, but there are a few that are not. Right. Well, at least they, they, passion is is a is a virtue that everybody's going towards. There also there's also a lot of passive aggressiveness under that. But anyway, that's I, I, I know. But but this this is exactly what I was trying to say. That like you know like you can't just thrive on on this one facet of being right. You can't just be compassionate all the time. Like if there's somebody starting to hit you, right? You can be as compassionate as you want to be you, you you know it's not it's not the uh, appropriate response so you want to like run away or you know like you want to do something else not just be compassionate right? and and um you know in the you know like the um, the idea of the sociopath or even the psychopath that has been kind of like present and and yeah if 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 there's a person who doesn't where you know there is no chance that that person ever has a feeling of, of compassion with me i should you know i i need to kind of like use use a language that that person understands right and i think that's also that it, that's and i think you said that before that's some sort of respect like you're kind of like showing respect by by trying to find that language right and that could be like i say it doesn't always have to be within that small range it can be slightly off to the side right? Up. Or, yeah exactly yeah 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 it can be it's and it, to me it's it and this is uh why i was reminded of that when i was shouting at that guy here right like like that physical you know i felt a sh you know almost a little bit of shame for having done that afterwards afterwards yeah yeah yeah. Even though I, I, you know, like if I, if, even though I think it was the right thing, you know, but it's just outside of, out of, outside of the norm. Probably. Also shocking. Sometimes it could, I mean, was it shocking that you responded that way for you? Yeah, it was shocking, but I could, I could feel that it had also had to do with like this idea of, uh, of, um, protecting my family somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So and, like if uh, somebody who's who who gets that and you you I mean the thing is you could just put up a little sign and if they get that they're backing away but if they don't get it now you now it now it goes to the next level right yeah that's exactly how it was yeah 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 have you ever worked with a sociopath musically um Yes. And it yeah. was, was it similar as inside the music or, or, or is it that, is that outside of the, believe it, believe it or not, I found ways to even work within those, uh, restrictions. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. Like, I think what, what happens is that like the results, they are not greater than the sum mm. of the parts, you know, like it's, um, but it works. It's okay. I mean, it's there is a way to even adjust 
to that. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Did, yeah. Did you have a, a situation? Yeah. Well, I didn't know. You know, I'm a little slow to pick up some of that stuff from people. It takes me a while. So mm -hmm. uh, there's been a couple of situations where later on, I not not even afterwards, but like near mm -hmm. the end of their relationship, I realized they were um, either having a completely, utterly ex different experience than everyone else on the planet, or uh, there was just a motivation uh, that just did not. I, I just didn't agree with, or, or, um, mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I don't, I don't know where it was coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of, maybe now that I'm older, but I, I kind of take that personally. I've kind of taken it personally a few times. Like I, I, I need to get away from this person now. And like, I don't, um, I guess I didn't at the time really understand why you would be, it's not simple as like why you would be such a dick, but why you would have made like the, made a whole different uh, false story under everything. And, and mm -hmm. I don't know, I kind of used to take that kind of thing really personally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you, you take it personally, right? Like, uh, for, for me, it's it's a little bit the other way around. As I get older, I want to be more forgiving, even to those characters that are uh, uncontrollable, let's say. And I don't mean that, that I want to control them, but, you know, the people that don't have control over themselves, right? And and, and uh, I, I, I've, I think I've been quite, quite horrible with some people where like, I, I think the, you know, the term that people now use, like in the dating scene is like ghosting, right? Like where are, you know, where you simply don't ever talk with somebody. Right. And, and this, um, I, I did that quite, not quite a few times, but I don't know, like three or four times with people where I completely because they they did something that I did not agree with and and something that hurt me in a big way and I said okay in order to protect myself I need to like never ever have any contact again and um, and even even recently just a couple of years ago I did I, I sort of had that reaction to somebody um, after a long time I had that kind of reaction again and I'm 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 aware of it now and I'm not I'm I, I'm not proud of myself that I reacted that way but it's it's very difficult to kind of like find a way out of that like what is the alternative right like how do I not expose myself to that same violence again let's say right 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 and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's tricky yeah I've done that before I used to actually when I was younger I used to kind of do that in, in a little more lightweight version with musicians I was working with who weren't taking it as seriously as me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know, I know why I did that. I mean, I know why that happened, but um, it, feel, it feels like a little more brutal than it, it had to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I've reconciled yeah. actually with a few, few people and, and, and actually with some people, I don't even know it didn't even come to the surface. I just didn't want to be around them anymore. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and then we, we got over, I got over that, but, uh, uh, it's, it's funny. There's this, this young, young guy that I'm, uh, teaching. Um, and I actually, um, even, uh, asked him to walk away from situations where he's with other musicians that don't, where he knows that they will never mm. have the same aim that he has. Right. Mm. Um, I felt also felt a little bad to suggest that, but I think I think you you have to do a little bit of that in order yeah. to yeah. 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 self love to walk away from situations that are not good for yourself, right? Yeah, I mean that's you know that's one of the keys. Um, I think to it's one of the big keys that we don't really talk about that much, but like to be a successful musician. One of the most important things is to be able to create situations that work for you. Yes. You know, that forget trying to make a living or even making stuff. Like that's one of the big skills. Like if you can make situations that let you thrive, that's a huge skill. It might even be the first most important skill. I I, I don't know, but it's it's a it's a it's a big thing, you know. It's it's uh it's more important than being able to make money off of a project, you, you, the, the capacity to create that. So, you know, probably good advice. Again, in a, in a world where um, compassion is like maybe the number one thing, right? Um, it's even difficult to, to um, admit that questions like, okay, like, what do I get out of this situation? Like what is what is good? What is in this for me? Uh, I, I really have, I'm starting. Well, it's 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 maybe the most fundamental question you kind of like have to ask yourself in order to to uh, be a good person somehow, right? Because like, why would you why would you stay uh, in a situation where there you don't see a, per, a positive outcome for yourself? And you know the interesting thing is that like there are some situations in my life where I did actually stay, right? And I and I know exactly what kind of skill, what kind of result I got out of that time that I stayed within the music, you know, in a in a in a you know playing with a group of people or whatever. Like even if it's just like I want to release that album with you because I love the music so much, right? Mm -hmm. That's you know then you stay and you learn to wait till that's done, right? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating, and 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 yeah, I agree. Like, why you know, uh, let's you know, let's start a music school, which is like the, uh, which is, which you know, in, uh, yeah, I don't know how to say this, but it it seems like when you when you're watching youtube and you're watching like the good music youtubers like the people that really know what they're talking about and they're kind of like like spilling all the beans right like all the all the secrets are on the table it seems right but no there's there's so much more and 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 i i find that it would be very interesting to have some sort of uh way to pass that knowledge on to people rather than how to you know how to play an a minor chord or <laughs> speaking of wisdom i was thinking uh, you, what you were saying just a second ago reminded me of, of of robert telling me i think it was michael giles i think he said michael giles said that 
the formula for keeping a band together is uh, music, the people, or the money. All you have to have is two of the three, <laughs> any two of the three. But if you only have one, it's it's close to going away. <laughs> wow, that's that's cool. If you hate the people and there's no money, but you love the music, it's not going to last very long. That's probably the best one of the. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some people, some people, it's social, right? Mm. But if you, you know, if you don't like the music, but if you get two of those, you might, you might be able to stay together. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, man. Yeah. Um, so what, what do we do now? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, I feel like we have one more. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Another one. Do another one. What the hell? Hey, so uh, let me let me stop the recording and we'll, yeah. We'll, yeah. Okay.